Hey, thanks for joining us again for uh, just an opportunity to go a little bit deeper into what we talked about Sunday. Um, just have some time together as community in your life group and, and maybe discuss through some questions that Pastor James came up with us uh, for us this week. So I want to press in a little bit on Matthew 25. I think it's, it's interesting. Um, we mentioned it yesterday, kind of, uh, you know, what's the outcome of looking at Jesus for our sense of value and identity instead of other people. And the outcome is what he talks about in Matthew 25. I want to give you a little more context. So I'm going to start at verse 31 and, and go down a little bit. So I apologize. It's a little bit longer uh, section of scripture, but I think it's necessary to get the context. So starting in uh, Matthew 25, verse 31, it says this, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Now, if you remember, we talked yesterday about Colossians 3, where it says, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, you're hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you too will be revealed in glory. Well, here in Matthew 25, Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So I think that's interesting to note, the connection there between the glory that we will have when our identity is in Christ and we are in him and he's revealed is actually the glory of Christ. It's not the glory of any of us as individuals, but his glory will become our glory, which kind of goes back to Ephesians 1, right? Where in him we're chosen and we're blessed and we're beloved and we're forgiven and, and we're his treasure and we're his inheritance and all those things. So, so this is what that section is, uh, this section of scripture is talking about is what Paul refers to in Colossians 3. When Christ who is our life is revealed, we also will be revealed with him in glory. So, um, verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So there's another clue about what that glory is, right? That glory relies in being a sheep of Christ. Um, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now we get another glimpse of what that glory is. It's to sit before all of mankind, of all history, and have Jesus himself say to you individually, Come, you're blessed of my father, come inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Does that sound fairly glorious to you? <laughs> Sounds really glorious to me to, to be at a spot where we see Christ as he truly is, fully, and he sees us as we are and says, come into my kingdom, inherit my kingdom. And then he goes on in verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So here's what we get. We get this idea of Jesus saying, hey, 
This is the glory that is to come that Paul talked about in Colossians 3. When we're in Christ, then that glory will be revealed. We will be in Him. And he's saying that the outcome of this glory, the lifestyle of the glory is that we fed the hungry, we comforted the sick, we visited those in prison, we gave drink to the thirsty, we clothed the naked. And so as we think about that, think of it in terms of the life that we live is a product of the glory that we will receive. Now, I find it interesting that in this section of Scripture in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about who's going to heaven. Now, think about that. He's talking about who's going to heaven. The basis on which he decides who's going into heaven is not what you professed, not what you believed, not where you went to church, not how strongly you held to the dogma of one set of beliefs or another, but what you did with the life he gave you. And so we have to understand that I'm not suggesting that what we believe is somehow irrelevant, but what I am suggesting is that what we believe is not adequate. Here's what I mean. To simply believe that Christ is who He says He is, that He is the Son of God, that He rose from the grave, that my sins are covered, and He is the way to God, but never live it out is inadequate according to Jesus at this point where he's saying, hey, this is what it looks like to be a sheep who's inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And so what I want to do is just suggest that maybe, maybe we need to shift the balance a little bit away from salvation is of belief towards salvation is of belief as I live it out. So we actually need to live that out because here's the deal. If we believe something, if we truly believe it, we will live and act as if it's true. If we say we believe something but we don't truly believe it, we will live and act as if it's not true. So what does it mean to live and act as if what Jesus says is true? Well, it simply means that we care for the least of these. That we recognize we are the least of these. We allow Him to manifest His presence to us in those that we might look at and say are kind of irrelevant or insignificant, that are kind of on the margins, that just don't mean that much in the economy of the world. That's what Matthew 25 is about. Matthew 25 is about knowing what I know, believing what I believe, how now should I live? It's not about a profession of faith. It's not about simply saying, I've ascended to this place intellectually. I now can confess this. So I'm fine. Goes back to what James said, right? Faith without works is dead. I think that's what James was talking about here. We can profess faith, but if for it to be true faith, it's going to manifest itself in works. Now, surely we're not saying you work for salvation, but I would say it this way, because I have salvation, I work a certain way. And there's a big difference there. It's a big difference between I'm going to work so that God finds me pleasing versus because God finds me pleasing, there's certain works I do. And they just flow out of who we are. Now, I want to go back to Matthew 7 just for a moment because I want to put Matthew 7 in the context of those verses in Matthew 25 where Jesus has separated the sheep and the goats. And remember the question that, he, that, that they asked him, when did we do this? They didn't even know. 
We talked about that Sunday, right? When that comes out of us, it's a matter of life flowing out of us. Whereas aware of that happening in us, as say an eagle is aware that it looks glorious when it soars. It's just being itself. And so when we are in Christ and we start to live this out, not as a set of beliefs that we cling to, but as a relational aspect of who we are, then those things become glorious and we start to look more like an eagle that's soaring, completely unaware of its majesty, than we become like the, the average Christian who's trying to prove their salvation by doing wonderful things to be patted on the back. So listen to this, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He who does the will of my Father. So there are people, apparently, who will look at Jesus and say, you are the Lord, but not do the will of God. Now, Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And here's the scary part. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They aren't presenting their testimony, their resume to him saying, look at all the lawless things we did. On the contrary, they're saying, look at all the godly things we did. And he's calling them acts of lawlessness. You see the paradox in that? Here's the key word in my mind in verse 23. I never knew you. To do great deeds apart from knowing Christ is to not do great deeds at all. It's to practice lawlessness. And so to take this word from verse 23, knew, and couple it with verse, uh, chapter 25 that we just read in Matthew, what I hope you'll understand is that our works towards those who are the least in the name of Christ are always an outflowing of knowing Him. There's a great song. I wish I could remember the title, and I can't. I wish I could remember the artist, and I can't. But there's a, a great line in there. He says, give me rules, and I will break them. Show me um, lines, and I will cross them. And the, the song, the chorus of the song goes, it's got to be more like falling in love than about keeping the rules. And, and so that's what the nature of relationship with Christ is. We can be those people who will look at the least of these and treat them in those ways, will do those deeds that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 that help him separate the sheep and the goats. When it's about a love relationship, a knowing that he talks about in Matthew 7, I never knew you, well, that new is in the context of deep, intimate, loving relationship. And so my hope is that as we come out of this series about who am I, what you'll find is that as you discover your true identity in Christ and how he sees you, that the end result is not simply, oh, yeah, I know who I am much better. Now I can go act a certain way. But the end result is knowing myself the way Christ knows me helps me fall more deeply in love with him. And that out of that intimacy flows all of these actions that he tells us we need to uh, walk in and, and be obedient to. Um, some of you guys know, because I talk about it all the time, probably too much, and, and so I'm going to do it again just to live up to your expectations of being overbearing about my dog. Um, I have an English bulldog. 
have a friend who's a psychologist and a Christian author and written some great books on Journey of the Soul. And my hope is that he and his wife will be coming to do a retreat for us sometime next year. But uh, the day I was picking up my dog, I was having, the day before I was picking up my dog, I was having dinner with my friend Bill and his wife Christy. And he was talking about training the dog. And I said, you know, Bill, here's what I've learned about English Bulldog. It's my third English Bulldog. What I've learned is you can't train them by breaking their spirit. They're too stubborn. You have to train them with affection. And so what happens is this. You build an affectionate relationship with them so that they will do what you want them to do out of affection, not out of a broken will. I think that's true for us as human beings. I think God knows that. I think God is trying to train us towards obedience of Him out of affection, not out of breaking our will or our spirit. And here's what I mean by obedience. That we will do what God wants because it helps bring forth the consequences, the results of His deep love for us into our lives and the life of others. And so out of affection, we're obedient to God because it brings forth what is best for me, what's best for you, what's best for all those around me. And so it's not simply obedience of God going, you will obey me, and if you don't, like the whack-a-mole game, right? You remember that, where the mole pops up and it gets whacked on the head? God's not simply hitting us on the head until we're obedient. He's inviting us into an affectionate, deeply intimate relationship that we can look at and go, I'm going to obey God because I want this relationship to have a firm foundation. I want it to endure and last. Matthew 7, I want to know Him. I want to know Him in the context of deep, intimate relationship. And as I know Him, I will start to do the things that He invites me into doing. Because when I do those things, I become like that eagle that's soaring, right? I'm doing what I was made to do, and it's glorious. It's glorious to God, and it benefits others. But I'm also becoming that person that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, who's feeding the hungry and bringing drink to the thirsty and clothing the naked and visiting the sick and the imprisoned. Because that is who I am, and it just flows out. So I hope you see that, that this idea of all these things that Jesus says, hey, do this, do this, do this. Feed the hungry and, and be there for the sick and the infirmed and the imprisoned. What he's actually saying is get to know me, love me, and you will naturally do those things out of affection for me and out of my deep affection for you. That's why identity matters. Because identity, as we realize it, hopefully brings us to a place where we kind of concluded our sermon Sunday which is, if Jesus is the most important person in my life, then what anybody else says about me is irrelevant. Once I live into that, I will do these things in Matthew 25, just as a natural outflowing of my love relationship with Him. So I hope that's helpful. I hope it gives you something to talk about. I want to invite you into diving into those questions. If you get through one or two, great. If you get through all of them, that's great too. But don't feel pressed that we got to answer all these questions. If you guys find great conversation happening around one of the questions that Pastor James gave us, stick with it, stay with it, and, and press into it deeply. But remember that, that uh, our discussion time is about building community and connectedness in Christ. It's not about um, checking some boxes 
to say, okay, we satisfied the requirements of a life group at Temple. Now, it's about you guys coming together in oneness and unity before God in Christ and doing life together. So let me pray for you as you get ready to go in your discussion time, and I hope this uh, helps and maybe gives you some things to talk about. Father, I just pray that your blessing is on every group that's meeting, that's watching this video, that's diving into these questions. Lord, just open up things that um, lead to, to deeper connections in you and deeper connections to one another. And just let your life flow through every group. Knit them together in, in ways that we can't even fathom as possible. But we know that you desire us to be one with you and in you. And just think about the, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, that you want us all to be one as he is one with you. And you want us to be one with each other and you want us to be one with the Son and one with the Father and one with the Spirit. And so we ask that you move that ball a little further down the field in the conversations and discussions that happen in every group as they process through this video. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great discussion time and we'll see you next week.